don't cram 20 people on Zoom. Fluorescent lighted office all day long. You know, you probably are going to work from home. Hello, welcome everyone to the new episode of No Office Podcast. Today I have a treat for you because I have a guest, Rand Fishkin. Hello, Rand. Hi, Michael. How are you? Great, great. This was difficult to schedule because we are nine hours apart. Um, I'm in Europe, Rand is in Seattle, so it's like on the other side of the globe, but we made it happen. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Rand, uh, for taking the time. So to continue my introductions, Rand is the author of the book Lost and Founder, which is a book I enjoyed this summer listening to Rand. And, you know, we are fellow entrepreneurs. We are fellow st startup owners. We are fellow people who have been scarred <laughs> running companies. Rand, you are uh, known uh, to the internet as the founder of uh, SEO Moz. Uh, can you tell more about your, whole, your story in a short nutshell? Sure. Yeah. Let's see. Very briefly, I dropped out of college in 2001 and started uh, working with my mom, Jillian, who would become my co-founder at, at Moz. Uh, and that company originally was doing web design and then became a, an SEO consulting firm and then an SEO software company. Uh, we raised lots of venture capital. I was made the CEO in 2007 and then uh, basically ran that company until 2014 when I stepped down. I stayed there a few more years. We raised a little more money. Um, growth sort of petered out and I left the company in 2018. Uh, Moz was sold to a private equity company in a not fantastic transaction in 2021. But when I left Moz, I started SparkToro, my current company, uh, the day after I left. And this journey has been very, very different. I think a lot of what you read in Lost and Founder, which was published in 2018, is kind of about those first 17 years making lots of mistakes um, and learning from them and trying to build something uh, special, but but sort of getting stuck in many of the hard parts. And SparkToro is a very different kind of company. It's still marketing software, but not SEO software. It, it tries to mm -hmm. help with finding people's sources of influence and behaviors and demographics online. And this business has been going for five years and is much smaller, but a much happier, more chill and, and technically more successful venture in terms of living up to the promises that it made to its investors, its team, its customers. Yeah. I mean, you know, reading your book, uh, which is, by the way, really totally recommended. I really loved it. Uh, and really it was, it was just fun listening to you, like re recount all these stories. And for me, you know, the, the thing is that I, I started my company, Nosby, uh, as completely bootstrapped, but I've always been kind of tempted by the, you know, VC route and all that stuff. But in, in the end of the day, I, I, I didn't go for it. And uh, in your book, you pretty explicitly explain uh, which companies fit this model and which don't. Because uh, I actually, you know, going to, into this book, I was expecting that you would be completely like trashing the, 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 the VC uh, environment and all that and the whole startup world and all that stuff, which you were you did not, did not do. You, what you did is like you just gave a very comprehensive description because you've been on the inside of what really it means to raise money or not. I think that the strongest way to change people's minds and to have a thoughtful conversation about, about any topic is to sort of steel man your opponent's viewpoints, right? And mm -hmm. so what's the strongest possible case for venture capital? And what are the weak cases for it, right? And I'm not going to argue against the weak cases. I'm not going to 
sort of cherry pick the worst examples of venture. I'm going to try and argue that 99.9% of companies and entrepreneurs should not go raise venture capital. And that argument, by the way, is something almost every venture capitalist will say too. They'll say venture is wrong for almost everyone. The problem is it's marketed to all of us. You, you yeah. talked about it yourself, Michael, right? You said you had this temptation, this temptation yeah. to go out and, and raise capital. And I think that many, many entrepreneurs feel the same. Even many folks who are just joining startup teams, they look for mm -hmm. companies because they believe that's a signal of reliability or uh, that the the investors who've put money into that company, oh, well, they must be very serious, thoughtful people. And if they're putting money into this, then I can trust that this business is going to be a, you know, a high quality venture and that they're going to treat people right. And this is just not how it is, right? So mm -hmm. venture capital isn't just wrong for the companies that don't raise it. It's also wrong for nine out of 10 of the companies that do raise it. And, and this is, I think, the part that's not spoken about well, right? Is that yeah. if you, for example, if your company, Michael, if Nosby were to go out and raise venture, your odds, your statistical odds of existing in five <laughs> years drop dramatically, right? Yeah. They go down to about 15%, like about 15%, about 20% of venture-backed companies still exist five years later. Some of those obviously are acquired, right? And maybe that story yeah. is, is good, but, but quite rare. A lot of those are aqua hires. A lot of those are um, acquisitions that, you know, maybe buy a very tiny amount of the, the company's stock and essentially get some of the assets, but it's a fire sale. Nobody makes out yes. well. And then a huge number go bankrupt. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, 99% of the stories that we read about companies that raise money are not, well, this company went bankrupt. They join a group of 764 other companies that Andreessen Horowitz has invested in in the last 30 years, uh, you know, the last 30 months that have also gone bankrupt. Uh, yeah. Their statistical rate of survival for an uh, Andreessen Horowitz-backed company is now one in 75. <laughs> like, that's, not, that's never the story. It's here's this company that raised money. Look at yes. their amazing work. Here's this company mm -hmm. that was acquired for this huge amount of money. Here's this company that went public. Those are the stories that get told, not the stories about the hundreds and thousands of companies that go under. And as a result, you know, venture is viewed through rose-colored glasses. And really rose-colored glasses. I mean, um, from my personal experience. So, for example, there is this uh, entrepreneur, other entrepreneur in my homeland of Poland. He's, uh, I really like this guy and we are, we are good kind of, you know, friends, uh, online friends, let's say. Um, and um, I really admire him and admire his um, the way he's doing marketing and all that stuff. And he will, he is a co-founder of a, of a company, but he has just a stake of this company because the rest is being, you know, eaten up by the VC. And he went on a stock exchange, right? I remember there was this amount of press about him and about his company. And I was like, I was really jealous. I was like, man, like, you know, nobody talks about me. Like, cause you know, I have this small company. I have this, you know, I have this mom and pop shop. I have this, you know, lifestyle business, right? And, right, he, right. and and he has this, you know, company that goes to stock exchange now. Like, this is amazing, right? And then I talked to him and he said, yeah, so uh, with the stock exchange money, I could a little bit advance my mortgage. And this is, I remember what you said in the book about the mechanics of financials when you have a VC-backed company. And I was like, oh, yeah, so uh, a few years ago, I bought my house for cash. 
right? <laughs> so, so you know, it's it's like <laughs> it's a different dynamics because in a VC-backed company, you are not getting all the profits. Uh, you know, you, you I remember like you quoted the story in the book, like you, that Moss was already doing so many millions of of dollars in revenue, and your friends were just uh, you know they didn't understand why you're not you know uh, driving a Lamborghini, you know, and 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 it was the same thing. I realized. I was still kind of jealous, but then I realized, damn, but I actually prefer my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that um, there's the money side of it, which I think folks don't talk about very honestly. And and I think that uh, if your goal in the whatever tech world uh, is to maximize the amount of earnings that you have, going into management at one of the big tech companies is the obvious path, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you and I wanted to make the most money that we possibly could, we should get jobs at Amazon or Google or Facebook Completely. or, you know, whatever. And, and we should try and get promoted a few times because that's going to sort of get us to whatever, four five, six, seven hundred $700,000 a year in income plus our stock benefits and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like that's how you make the, make the most money in tech, especially with the lowest odds of failure. Generally speaking, even if you get fired from one of those jobs, you can go to another one. Oh, Salesforce yeah. is hiring me. HubSpot will pick me up, right? Like, you know, that's how you that's how you grow your your sort of earnings potential. If what you want to do is something like what we're doing, which is to stay independent, to get to run your own business, call the shots, wake up when you want to wake up, take the meetings you want to take, run the business how you want to run it, then venture is not for you either, right? Yeah. Because that is not. Um, that's not part of the model. The The model really demands that you go all out very hard in certain pathways with certain sorts of uh, structures and environments um, and, and constraints around what you can and cannot do for a considerable period of time. You know, if you're Moz was a, a, an interesting story for me in that I thought most venture back companies generally had an exit five to seven years after founding. And that's statistically true, but the problem is most of those exits uh, happen in the first two to four years, and they're uh. aqua hires or fire sales, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, um, Geraldine and I, for example, invested in a startup a few years ago, and you know they were they were technically acquired, uh, but mm -hmm. the acquisition basically was for no money. It was just, hey, we're gonna announce an acquisition so that the founder and the team sort of looks good on paper, but we're not paying anything for the company, right? And mm -hmm. so investors got $0, but it was it was considered an acquisition. And that is the story, an overwhelming majority of the time, right? That happens a ton. Folks don't talk about it because it doesn't sound very sexy. It makes sort of sound bad, right? And the one, the number of folks who make millions of dollars from an acquisition, uh, of a venture-backed startup is vanishingly small. I think it's literally less than one in a thousand people, one in a thousand companies that try to raise money will get to that scenario. And less than uh, one in 50 who raise venture will, uh, less than one in 50 founders who raise venture uh, will make a million dollars or more from their venture. Yeah, but again, this is not how the story is told. As I said, the, the story is told completely differently to the mainstream, like, completely differently. So in yeah. that sense, well, I think uh, this is this is it's part of the obligation, right? I think of folks who go through that process, even if you do full disclosure, 
when Moz sold, Geraldine and I still owned about 20%, a little less than 20% of the company. Moz's okay. sale was not good. It was not mm -hmm. a good scenario, right? I think that you know a couple of people have analyzed the deal and been like, hey, wait a minute, the company that acquired it spent $91 million on all acquisitions that quarter. So Moz must have sold for $91 million or less. And Moz was making $50 million. So they didn't even get 2x on their earnings. And their last round, they raised at 100. So they didn't even cover the valuation. Yeah. So, you know, so obviously not a good scenario. But since Geraldine and I still owned a significant percent, we did make more than a million dollars. Right. So we're in that really, really tiny group. <laughs> You know, a consolation I'm, I'm price. grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful that somebody <laughs> sold it um, or somebody bought it. And I don't know, it, it's a complicated story. I, I think I need to write a follow up to Lost and Founder, right? <laughs> right. About that transaction, about the end of Moz and then about Spark Toro and, and what's happening there. Um, and I, I run another company as well because <laughs> I can't can't help myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can help yourself. OK. <laughs> OK, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to Spark Toro very soon because uh, yeah. I'm really curious about how you set it up. So so we'll get to that. Let's get to that. Uh, we'll, I, I'm going to ask some follow up questions from the past anyway. So you um, you were kind of ousted right from the from Moz. And then uh, when you started spark toro what was you know like what was your main thinking of what you're going to do differently i mean so many things right <laughs> i think what's interesting is you know lost and founder is really a guidebook almost for myself right it's here are 14 things i'm going to do very differently things around how i'm going to build a team uh things about how i'm going to structure our work things about how i'm going to design the business things about how we're going to do customer research things about how we're going to design our funding round uh, things I about have how we're, yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> all all of those things are are totally different. Spark Toro is only three people. It's just myself, Casey, and Amanda. That's it. Cool. That's the whole cool. team, right? And we don't we we do not have any plans to hire in the next year or two. Maybe two or three years out, I can imagine us hiring one more person. But we're intentionally keeping the team extremely small. We never want to operate in the red. We plan to be profitable every month that we exist, right? That's our that's our goal. Never have a month where we spend more than we make. It, it could happen that it, you know, maybe there's one month where we have to do a big data deal and we buy something, but whatever. Th that uh, is completely different, right, than Moz, which, you know, after we raised $18 million, I think we were, there were months where we were losing a million dollars on the business. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. in the red yeah. by a million dollars in a single month. We are... Spark Toro is never planning to, you know, try to get to 50 or a hundred million dollars in revenue, right? Our, our goal is not to be anything like, uh, like those businesses We we would love to be a between two and $10 million business a year. And every yeah, one of those numbers, completely right? the same, completely agree. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, and it's not that, look, you know, if the company is whatever, it's at $10 million and it keeps growing, well, we're not going to turn down customers. We're just not optimizing for that, right? That's not our, yes. and, and in order to be successful, we don't have to achieve that. Our success comes from being profitable, paying back our investors, which we just did this June. So that's quite exciting. You know, I mentioned SparkToro is already a more successful business yeah. by that metric. That's because, we, you know, all of our investors, which are a lot of folks like yourself, Michael, right? Other mm -hmm. entrepreneurs running uh, small businesses in the marketing universe, and, and software universe, and they got their money back, right? If you put in 50K mm -hmm. in June of this year, you got a check from us for $50,000. Yeah. 
And now, hopefully every year or two, three going forward, you get another check for $10,000, 20, nice, maybe 30, you know? So the goal is in 10 years from now, you've gotten two, three, four X your money. And it was a relatively low risk investment, right? It's mm-hmm. not like these uh, high growth, you know, only win by getting to a hundred million dollars. SparkToro is very low risk. Like our, our intent was even if we are sort of failing and things aren't going well, well, then we're going to pay back our investors most of their sum because, you know, it's not the business isn't taking off. So we're going to get people, whatever, two thirds of their money back and then call it a day. But instead, it's been quite successful. And so we we keep running with it. That's that's perfect. That's, you know, like it, I always um, I keep this message to uh, our customers that, you know, that we are our investors are our customers. We're customers funded. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it was like uh, we had a difficult time uh, this year. And then at some point we had to raise the prices and um, which with must be pretty cheap. But still, yeah. we had to raise the prices actually to, you know, to maintain the cost and everything. And um, I made this message. I remember it was so hard to make to, to make this message for customers to really, you know, communicate. I mean, we haven't raised prices in like six, seven years. So like, you know, like it was time to, 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 to adjust the prices and especially, you know, after the pandemic and all that stuff. Yeah. So we did that. And I remember I was scared like crazy. I was scared like crazy. And I was like, okay, if, you know, at, I mean, I, and I had that target of how many people would, you know, keep renewing, you know? Uh, so we did, we announced that we're going to raise the prices and we said, you know, until that time, you couldn't still renew for a yearly price, you know, um, for the old price. At the keep, old price, know, yeah. But for, to keep the old price for another more, you know, for one more year. You know, before we renew with the, because you're a good customer, we love you, like you've been with us. So, so I'm giving you, you know, heads up, you know, next month, the price is going to go up. And I remember it was so hard. And then um, I had, I had a, you know, number in mind, how many people should renew for us to, you know, to, to also, you know, keep our economics right and, and all that stuff. And, you know, um, I was wrong by no, three times. So that three times more people did that, you know, and they, and, and some sent me, sent me message, messages yeah. saying, Michael, I'm not renewing. I want to pay the bigger price. So wow. it's like, so this is what you get when you are well, in touch goodwill, with customer. Yeah. Goodwill <laughs> is a real thing. I, it doesn't matter what field you're in, right? You, you could be in, yeah. in retail, in e-commerce, in service business, but absolutely. You know, I think, I think there's a, a beautiful thing that you can build through, you know, trust and affinity and reliability and and clear empathy for your customers, right? That you always want to honor them and treat them with respect and and that they feel that and then want to do the same to you, right? It's a relationship. I, this is my favorite part of, of human relationships is when they trump capitalism, right? Right. They they trump raw capitalism. And obviously I'm a capitalist, right? I invest in companies and I Mm -hmm. uh, have run companies and I I build them, right? I I kind of, there's, I like small scale capitalism, right? I like the freedom to put your labor wherever you want. And if it's valuable, you can make money from that. And then you can spend that money in different ways and support the things you want to support. Like, I think that's, that's actually great. I, I like market economies generally, what I don't love is exploitative capitalism. I don't yeah, like extreme capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Sort of this this weird late stage that we're in. All, all that stuff is is crap. And and it's really, I think it's it's very harmful to a ton of people who work. And so, you know, my <laughs> my philosophy is if you can if you can prove to your customers that you do care about them in that way, that you are not just out for growth and their money, they'll support you when you come on hard times too. Yeah. 
completely completely and uh, we were so grateful and i was like like i had like the whole you know summer holidays i was just so happy i was just like you know so relieved you know that you know that it worked you know yeah and and yeah. And, and it worked that you know that people really like I could feel the, the 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 reciprocity of this, you know, the the of us, you know, being together in this, you know, and uh, and this is what you get like in this good capitalism, like when you know when when there is respect, when there is um, when there's communication, when there is connection. And uh, switching a little bit gears, I, I because I have notes. One of the things I loved about uh, so there are many things about your book that I loved, but one thing per, uh, particularly which applies to me now, which I loved from your book, was the whole idea of core values. This is this is something that you mentioned. You had the Takfi core values, as I remember: transparency, authenticity, generosity. Fu was for fun, fun, empathy, and exceptional. Right. So you had Takfi, and this whole idea that uh, I realized over the summer when I was, you know, because I, I, I was a kind of a, I went on a kind of thinkation vacation. Oh. So it means that I I don't work on uh, um, on like a business to, a daily daily business uh, for yeah, for yeah. a month. But I do work, but I just work in a different way. I, you know, I, I listen to books like yours. I, I take notes. I, I analyze uh, uh, business and like do whole the whole thing that you know like, take that. a step back, right? And one of the things I realized is that uh, this is really important, and especially the examples that you gave in the book where things go bad when you start uh, uh, bending the rules, bending the the, the core values when you like. Ah, okay. This guy is a jerk, but you know he's really a good. You know, uh, you know he delivers results, right? And all that, you know, kind of excuses. And I, I remember, I remember this uh, this situation like a few years back when a, a very a very big customer wanted to, you know, to buy Nosby. And normally, you know, we serve small businesses, but this time it was like a bigger customer, uh, a, a bank actually. And and they 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 tricked our ordering system to get a better price you know they like they did something really shady um we fixed it but then then i talked to the ceo and the ceo was in on this thing he said no 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 uh, we demand now that you keep the promise of this price and whatever and i'm like look man you cheated us and you know it i know it your your, your it guy knows it like everybody knows it so like there, there's no you know and um i just before our conversation, I just refunded you all the money, so yeah. I have no obligation to you, and I, and you have and, and you have until Friday to export your data because I'm good to you, and I want to. So this kind of you know liberty and freedom to walk away yeah. from from people who you know who want to bend the rules and and you know not be good. And this is you know it's one of those tough things where if you have investors and you have growth targets and you have, gosh, you know if we piss off this guy at this bank, is he gonna? talk about us to his network and is that you know is he going to be potentially helpful in the future or you know is our next round going to be contingent on the input of someone like him to hate that right i love right. i love being able to say i don't want to work with you sorry right and and it's just no there's nothing beyond that right uh, the conversation's over you never have to think about it again if it comes back to hurt you doesn't matter right? The world is big. <laughs> yes. I, I love I love that about um, the freedom and flexibility that our kinds of businesses provide. And it was it was always a frustration and fear for me during my, my time at Moz, right? That, you know, on, on all sorts of issues, right? On issues of, of ethics, um, of uh, behavior in the product, and even of what people were doing. You know, at SparkToro, we... Um, Specific, you know, we review everyone who who buys the product. Usually, 
four or five transactions a day, right? So it's not very many people who are buying, but I can look at, you know, who's buying the, the product, what, who are the new customers who are signing up. And a couple of times we've had people where we thought we don't want them using the product. For, for example, um, law enforcement organizations in the United States, we don't want them using wow. Toro for sort of their their purposes. Sa- same with some political organizations. We basically just refunded the money and said, sorry, um, we don't allow you know your organization to use this, right? And oh, wow. <laughs> people, uh, the two times it's happened, they didn't even write back, right? They were okay. just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so fine, <laughs> great, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I linked them to sort of our um, our statement on on social justice, mm-hmm. and they they never replied. But that freedom, right, means that it means that I sleep easy every night, right? It means yeah. that Amanda and Casey, right, who I know share my values feel good about working at SparkToro. It means that if yes. you sign up for SparkToro and you're someone who who sort of shares our values, you know that we're that kind of company, right? We're the kind of company who will not take money to um, reject or <laughs> uh, compromise our beliefs. For some yeah, people, that's this- really powerful. And that, that, those are exactly the kind of people I want to serve. There was this issue I remember, like because we still use GitHub, but the, for example, GitHub accepted the ICE money, and 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 it still kind of taints them, and and uh, and it's still something that uh, we're strongly thinking of. Yeah. Um, no, I mean Cloudflare is another example, right? They're sort of a default. You you don't have to use them, but you it's very difficult to use a competitor. Not to use them exactly, yeah. um, and they're they they just they are a good product. They do make it really easy. They obviously are. Um, you know, built something great, but also I really, really dislike their uh, stance on, you know, who they decide to protect and and don't. And I just fundamentally, I fundamentally disagree. Um, mm-hmm. They have made, they, they've made a few uh, good moves in the last couple of years that I, that I like, but you know, anyway, on, on the whole, not thrilled. Google's another example, yeah. right? Like we use, we use Google chat, we use um, Google email, calendar, all that kind of stuff. Google Workspace is a good product. Is Google a monopolistic entity that abuses their monopoly power you know, to, <laughs> uh, to unfairly compete in other sectors? Hell yeah. Obviously, Hell yeah. yes, right? <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's a court case right now, today, literally happening today. Uh, the Department of Justice is, is suing Google and the uh, trial's happening right now as we're having this conversation. And I, you know, I hope Google loses big time. I hope they have to pay some gigantic fine. But no matter how gigantic it is, it probably won't do anything to their business. That's that's true. That's true. That's why, for example, it's 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 good to be able to rely on smaller companies. You know, to, yeah. on smaller products. You know, and uh, I had the same question just today uh, from uh, our VP of product. He asked me. Uh, should we keep using Zoom? Because, for example, Zoom decided you know to use AI to analyze all of your chats without oh, right. your consent. Yep. So, so all your like, content uh, is theirs now, and they exactly. can exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like um, you really have to decide, and you have to you have to uh, uh, you know check what's really important to you. And so, what we're discussing here, and I want to you know again to, to call attention to everyone listening, is that small companies run like ours. They have the freedom to choose because we don't have to worry about you know the investors the stakeholders you know we, we don't have to maximize the shareholder value <laughs> because we don't have to maximize anything you know we yeah. can also decide as you said you know you can have just fewer orders and still be okay 
you know, you don't you don't need to take all the orders and all the money and 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 all that stuff. And the same with 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 people when you hire, you can be really picky about who you hire and who you who you trust. And that's why uh, I'm also happy that that you know we are we are we are we are running a small company. Um, and right now, like one of my uh, key employees um, uh, resigned, but he resigned after 11 years of working oh. with me. So wow. so it's like uh, so it was like a bittersweet moment because you know I'm gonna miss him and and all that stuff. But of course for him it's a good thing actually to 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 move on and have a different adventure. And actually I'm I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm happy for him. But uh, and then he told me that, you know, Michael, like you should be happy that, you know, that somebody like me stayed so long, yeah. you know, and and this is these things that, you know, um, I learned to celebrate now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's wonderful when people have incredible careers, um, you know, in your organization and then they're able to take those skills elsewhere and, and make somewhere else better. Um, I have a friend who runs an agency and he talks about how, you know, a third of the agency's business comes from people who've left their teams gone to other companies and then, you know, hired them as consultants to work with uh, their new company. And I just think that's amazing, right? That shows the sort of integrity and quality and relationship building and trust that happens inside the company. Really special. Yeah. So, so compare, so coming back just to, 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 to reiterate the whole thing with the core values, what you argue in the book, what I would like to everyone to listen to, uh, to grasp is the fact that the cool thing about these values is that you have thought about them before you make a yeah. decision. So it's like when you make a decision, you have to filter it through these values. And if it doesn't compute, if it doesn't, you know, it's not compatible with these That's values, right. you have to say no. It's like, it's like Derek Sievers, hell yes or no. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. I, I think this is the, it's one of the challenges that I've had actually with the, with the core values, because a lot of people who've read about uh, Moz's values previously or, or Spark Toro's, right. Which is yeah. ours are be Lux, which is a little bit different, but the, the values themselves are not what's important. The important mm -hmm. part is having that architecture, essentially yeah. saying, here are things we are not willing to compromise for money. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, you could say our core value is money. Right, yeah. which is which is what most public companies, virtually every <laughs> you know bank and financial institution, virtually every big tech company, their core value is not any value except growth at all costs, right? And the only reason that they ever engage in sort of ethical behavior is because they believe that that ethical behavior will help them make more money in the long or short run. Yes, right. And and if if that's you, then I would encourage you to just say it. Right. Don't mm -hmm. hide it. Don't pretend. Don't create fake core values that you think will recruit people because you're just going to lose them. Right. They're yes. just going to be frustrated. They're going to hate working with you. They're, right. They're going to they're going to be in an environment that where the uh, the values that are on the wall are not the same as the ones that are actually in practice. And if you do have values, right, if you have things that you are unwilling to compromise uh, for more money, then write those down, write those mm -hmm. down, distribute them, get them organized so that. You can always refer back to them and anyone on your team can refer back to them when challenging situations arise, right? And you all know what the right decision is beforehand. It's really tough if you don't have those conversations until something comes up because that, then it gets high conflict. But mm -hmm. if you can just point to, hey, the values say this is who we are, conversation over, easy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Everybody agreed to it beforehand. 
Yeah, that's so today is an iPhone day basically because today Apple is unveiling the new iPhone and mm. Apple Watches and whatever. But for example, Apple is for me this kind of company that on one hand are doing lots of beautiful things. They have fantastic iPhones. I use them. I use the Apple Watches, whatever. I love it. But I'm also a developer for the Apple platform because we have an app oh. on, you know, on, the, on the App Store. And over there, <laughs> the way they're compromising their other values that they promote so much it's it's striking you know they're um on the app store basically they're a bully uh, yeah. they you know with every you know we uh, we ship a new version of nosby uh, basically every week because we want to make sure that you know right. all the bugs are there and uh, fixed and all that stuff and new features are coming as soon as we can so we are trying we are trying to just have this shipping train of every week shipping a new version of nosby but uh, what happens is that every week we are stressed that maybe they will reject our app for some weird reason you know that that you know that that maybe we by accident linked to our page <laughs> and and this is you know against their rules of in-app purchases or whatever and and this kind of money uh, uh this kind of you know uh, services money is tainting them and it's yeah. it's changes my attitude towards them you know because of that and you know and uh, that's why I, I have a very bittersweet relationship with them because of that because uh I'm a developer on their platform and I'm there at their mercy, you know, and if they say uh, no more Nosby, there is no more Nosby on App Store. Yeah, I I have often wondered whether the app battle is worth the worth the price, right? That mm -hmm. essentially I've talked to a lot of startup founders who build apps, right, who have an, an app version of essentially their product. And I don't know, my position is the open web is always better. It's always, always, always better. And even if you know, you say to yourself, gosh, but we're going to lose 30, 40, 50, 60% of our customers really wish that we had an app or they, you know, they'd use an app rather than the mobile website. I don't know. I, I'm sort of like, yeah, but Apple is going to be Apple and, and, and Android, I, frankly, yeah. too, right, are going to be so terrible to you. They're going to make you work so hard. The cost of setting up those, maintaining them, jumping through their hoops, the risk of at any point they could, you know, delist you. All those kinds of things, which, which, by the way, uh, that is abusive monopoly power. Of and course, it is. <laughs> I think I think uh, governments should not accept that that power, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you, uh, you should not be prohibited, right? There should be no authority that can say, "Oh, you're not allowed to set up and run that website." You can't offer your exactly. product over the internet. Mm -hmm. You should not. The the Apple and Android have monopolies on all the apps on the planet. And they should not be allowed to uh, run those businesses the way that they do. Um, in fact, I would argue that, you know, if I were the Department of Justice, I would say, nope, that's not how it's going to be. There's going to be an open uh, source system for apps and everyone has to conform to it. Just like, just like I think the EU made it so that USB-C, right, has to yep. be the power source that everyone uses. You can't have your own proprietary power systems like Apple has for years, which of course made their accessories business in, insanely profitable, but also of just a, a horrific consumer pain in the ass. So, you know, I, this stuff is abusive. <laughs> this is the late stage capitalism problem that we've been, we've been exactly. talking about. And I would argue that for, for most entrepreneurs, I would, I would tell them just go with the mobile web, right. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. tell your customers like, Hey, this is, this is how we're doing it. I, I, I understand that's, it's not possible for everyone, but. Exactly. So, uh, you know, for apps like mine, unfortunately, this is not possible. People, not possible. Uh, people really demand uh, yeah. a, a, an app for, for, for our platforms. I mean, 
we spent like <laughs> quite a few months, for example, optimizing our app for Mac App Store because we were rejected, rejected, rejected several times. But this is where our customers were expecting our app to be. So, you know, it's our kind of job to be there where our customers expect us, even though no fun. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but <laughs> but this is you know again it, for different businesses is different thing you know for our kind of uh, software it is for your kind of software I'm sure not like this you, you don't really need an app so yeah. for for that no yeah. and and that that's the thing that's where we should you know make a conscious choice so I'm I'm really happy to have you here because really for me this whole idea of this you know late stage capitalism of this you know I mean I've been listening to. Um, uh, to the musical Hamilton, and uh, and I'm a big fan, and uh, you know, and they they talk about slavery as well, and 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 kind of you know, on one hand there is no slavery, but on the other hand there is because uh, um, you know because some people are trapped and some companies are trapped, and 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 because of these powers, so um, that's why I'm I'm really happy that uh, you know to open their eyes to see businesses like yours, like mine, that we can shape the way we do things. And again, again, again to, to quote uh, Derek Sievers, uh, in one of his books, he said that, you know, your company is your own unicorn land. You decide how you shape it if you have the freedom yeah. to do it. And uh, I think uh, what, I like, what I like about your story is that you're, you know, showing, you know, both ways and showing um, with which way you're happier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my goal is certainly to... I think there's, you know, there's the obvious sort of small scale goal, which is make SparkToro successful, you know, have our investors benefit from that, have our our, our team and our customers benefit from the, the product and the revenue that we make. But then there's the bigger goal of how, how do I popularize this type of business and encourage mm -hmm. folks who could raise money, who could build, you know, whatever big businesses to instead decide that small scale capitalism and small business building isn't just a, a lifestyle business, right? Which is used yeah. pejoratively, right? Oh, it, yeah. it is a lifestyle business, but every business is a lifestyle business. Venture is a lifestyle business too. It's just not mm -hmm. a lifestyle I want to live. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think that we should elevate or praise or worship entrepreneurs who've built businesses of a particular size, right? By number of employees or by amount of revenue. I, I think that we should recognize that there is beauty and things worthy of emulation in businesses of all sizes, right? And we need to tell more small scale stories and we need to find ways to popularize uh, alternative forms of funding, right? Like the, like the yes. Sparktoro funding, um, or, you know, um, investors like, uh, like tiny seed or calm capital, um, or some of these alternatives to venture that provide a much saner way to, uh, get entrepreneurs who, who can't afford to bootstrap, right. They, they maybe don't have the money to, to get that business off the ground, or they don't have the, uh, financial freedom and flexibility to sort of be unpaid or underpaid for some series of years, but you know, let's enable those kinds of businesses too. Um, I don't think start startups are inherently nearly as risky as the venture asset class makes them out to be, right? The whole, mm -hmm. the whole venture model collapses if you say, hey, most startups would survive, not even most, a third of startups. If you told them a third of startups would survive long-term and be profitable and be going concerns if they didn't have to chase venture capital and chase the returns model that works for you. 
they could be like Sparktoro, like Nosby, like Balsamic. Um, yes. Those, those businesses, if they, if they work at even, you know, 30%, 35% of them, um, then the venture model is wrong, right? It's just, mm-hmm. not, it's, it, <laughs> it's broken um, because it, it really punishes 90% of the startups, 95% of the startups to benefit just a few. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, we'll link in the show notes to to to, to SparkToro to your uh, description how you funded the company because yeah. it's really interesting. And yeah, we uh, open source that, so if anybody wants to use it, you can just take cool. the documents that we've created um, and then you know give those to your attorney, obviously to to put in your own details. But you don't have to start from scratch. Hopefully, we can save you tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And this is what, what, I, what I do, for example, with popularizing uh, also remote work, right? Where, because my company has been fully remote for, 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 for I mean, forever. And, and, um, and uh, I wrote my kind of short no office book, I mean, drafted. But again, this is also the, the, our ideas, you know, to open source this, to, to show it to the world and that people just, you know, have a version of that. Uh, yeah. but have a, a good example. So we will link to, uh, to, these, uh, to these so that people can really like steal your ideas because, uh, I mean, you know, take the ideas and, and spin for them because I think this is the way to go. This is the way to, as you said, alternative fin- funding, uh, more freedom, just, uh, you know, a little bit slower, but it doesn't mean that we are really slow. It's just, it means we are like normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can, you can build exciting businesses using the sort of compound interest model, right? Which exactly. is, which is that, that it may not be, you know, 10 million, a hundred million dollars in five years or seven years, but it could get there in 15 or 20. Yep. And it could be a very exciting size for your team, your investors and your customers in even just a few years. There's, and there's nothing wrong with that. This, this worship of the, you know, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars is frankly weird. It is, it is very weird. It makes me think that there's a, I don't know, uh, you know, sort of a conspiracy where the press has been told, don't you dare cover anyone doing less than $10 million of revenue. If you hear about a startup that's not funded by venture and they're doing less than 10 million, you, you nix that story. I don't want to see it. (laughs) It's weird because there's a lot of us out there and there's, no coverage, right? It just, mm-hmm. th- those stories don't get told. And because they don't get told, people can't emulate them, exactly. right? A lot exactly. of entrepreneurs like myself, right? When I was in my 20s, I didn't even know you could do something like what I'm doing now. I didn't know that was possible. And of course it is, but that's the goal, right? I hope I hope when this podcast and stories like yours, books like yours, uh, Michael, come out, more people find them, more people realize that there's a possibility and and if that's what they want and that's what they love they embrace it and so i appreciate you for for helping to tell these stories Rand, thank you so much thanks for being here on this podcast on the no office podcast brought to you by nosby uh by my tool that i've been developing for the last 16 years <laughs> and um uh, by the way uh just a short promo we just launched a new business uh, plan uh, and there is a special promo for that um uh, so anyway um Rand, thank you so much. Thanks for for being here and uh, see you soon somewhere on the internet. And uh, let's keep the conversation going about uh, how we can launch these kind of businesses and help uh, nurture this kind of businesses. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Take care.